0: Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Cross Wires. It's James here. And this week, we've got a returning guest, and we're going to be talking about something really quite interesting. We've we've talked a lot about creativity on this show, and we've had many Faces on to talk about DJing. But this week, my returning guest, Ravi from Retro Hour, is talking about making music with something that is a little bit older, or rather, something you might not expect to be used in music production these days. Ravi, welcome back to the show. Hello, it's great to be here. So Ravi, just in case people didn't listen to you, um, your previous uh, appearance, do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, so I do
1: interviews on a on a podcast called The Retro Hour uh, with my colleagues, Dan and Joe. We've been doing it for nearly a decade now, every single week, interviewing someone from the video game industry. And our, our idea is that we just wanted to tell these stories because there's uh, so much going on in the video game world. A lot of a lot of stories kind of get missed, and and we didn't really want to tell them. We wanted to hear from the horse's mouth, so we we get the guests on and they tell us our their story every single week. You know, it's it's really nice, and this has also led to us going to video game events and doing stuff like that. I've got a huge passion for the Amiga computers, so I, I've got like a small YouTube channel. I don't do much on there, but um, I I do like DJing with the Amiga computers, which we're going to talk about and. Uh, Yeah, I've I've kind of tried and do as many different things as I can with Amiga, because it's just one of those systems that I absolutely adored when I was growing up. And um, I'm glad that people are still kind of keeping it alive.
0: Absolutely, and um, so we should be honest, this is our second attempt at doing this episode. We had a few technical hitches on my last one. Don't quite know what happened, but we're back, and actually, it's worked out a little bit better because of an event Ravi's just come back from. But before we talk about that and talk about the DJing stuff, I I believe you're trying to turn an Amiga 600 into a laptop right now. Uh, Yeah, this is like a crazy project that I did. Uh,
1: Initially, it was called a scrap top, so um, the idea was that, we'd make a laptop out of scrap or recycled materials. It would be a, a Commodore Amiga laptop using original hardware. So uh, I've always kind of wanted a, an Amiga laptop. And, you know, they've always been in a a nice little cute small form factor. And I thought, why, why couldn't this be done? But um, I didn't really have the technical knowledge. So um, I spoke to Dubious Engineering, who's a, a channel on YouTube, and he does a lot of dubious things. And uh, he's always creating projects and uh one thing i noticed he was doing um lithium batteries on uh, a like raspberry pi so he's making little raspberry pi laptops with that and uh he's a really nice guy howard so managed to meet up with him and we started creating this project together where he worked out the power which um is massively complex and i don't have much understanding of it but i have kind of learned a lot more about it now through this and also doing a Stuff with solar panels in my shed and stuff like that. What is it with retro YouTubers and 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 solar panels? What what's this obsession? Oh, I just think it's electronics, you know, playing around with something. And I've always loved renewable energy as well. <laughs> so so that's good that you can actually have it. And uh, I think I'm running a like a little radio off there, and I can charge on my drill batteries and stuff, which is quite good fun, all for free. So I like it. I love it. Yeah, but um, the laptop, basically, it's it's morphed into a monster uh, that's been built out of Lego. (laughs) I'm not very good at CAD and stuff like that, so I decided, what what easier thing to use than Lego? I could have used something else, but I think, actually, Lego's quite
0: expensive. (laughs) And uh, it's cost quite a bit to actually get this uh, laptop created. I, I do love the lego construction but it speaks to two of my childhood fond you know sort of memories lego and the amiga because commodore never made an amiga laptop and were there because i know they did like that, that portable was it the sx64 for the c64 from your knowledge were there any ever prototype or similar plans for a laptop based amiga
1: there was one called the commodore lcd uh which was like a you know, LCD display kind of PDA device that would have uh, been a Commodore 64. Only a few of those were ever made. Um, there was there was a, quite a cool kit called um, a Pause, which was uh, like a commercial attempt at making a laptop as well. But back then, you know, the batteries were quite heavy as well, and they wouldn't have as much capacity as the uh, lithium ones nowadays. So um, yeah, that 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 was a cool little project
0: though, and they're quite rare if you can find any of those. Awesome. And as Ravi said, lithium batteries can be incredibly dangerous. So um, I'm guessing a lot of this will be getting, you know, getting a, a, well, I think we call it balancing and the charge controllers right to make sure that you aren't going to explode. Yeah, that's, that's a risk
1: that can happen. I, I do actually remember another one, which was, uh, I used to go to a local Amiga shop back in the days and uh, a guy called Simon Archer came in and he'd created an Amiga laptop. And that was a bit of, inspiration again and that was that was still powered though but it was in a kind of laptop form factor yeah howard howard's made it safe basically uh with battery management units and stuff like that we've had a few smoking batteries sometimes <laughs> um, those days are kind
0: of gone now we've added the uh battery management in there Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you, Ravi. I'm looking forward to seeing that when it's all completed, and uh, I'm sure you're going to be making quite a fuss of that on on YouTube and uh, at various events. So, there we go. So, let's talk about music and Amiga. Now, when you think of 80s and 90s computers, uh, is it fair to say that most people, when they think of music production, don't think of Amiga, but instead think of the Atari ST because of its MIDI capabilities? Uh, yeah, totally. Like the Atari ST also was kind of
1: embraced by the music industry a lot more uh, than the Amiga. The Amiga was always kind of seen as like a games machine, and uh, at least in the UK. And I think the Atari had better software in in regards of like being a kind of digital uh, audio workstation. So, um, a Cubase was was a great piece of software. You know, if you were mastering and stuff, it'd be really nice to used on the on the atari they had a, a program on the amiga called bars and pipes i remember that uh, prince was a fan of at one one point that was if you were all going down that kind of midi based route um the route that i liked to go down was the uh kind of a uh, tracker route which um was totally different to the midi stuff but you could also use midi instruments to trigger samples in the tracker yeah i, I i've always loved working in that way and it's also because you know, I've learned these uh, other ways of making music through sequences and stuff, and I've never really
0: got on with it. <laughs> I've always just stuck to the tracker. For those of our listeners who maybe don't understand the term tracker, because I, I have a vague idea from, from obviously seeing you DJ on a few streams, but what is a tracker? How? Uh, what are the components of that in terms of uh, uh, then putting out music? Because it's, it's much more modular than, say, a wave file or something like that is
1: that fair yeah definitely so um it would work with certain music formats so um dot mod was uh obviously what one of the biggest ones but then there were later ones like dot xm and stuff which were on the pc and they'd, they'd enable more um channels to be in the music tracker and the tracker itself is kind of a it, it was like a sequencer but um it, it worked in blocks So you'd have uh, blocks and the notation would be put in the blocks and you'd have separate channels. So on the Amiga, it was like four channels. And uh, there were some famous pieces of software, like ProTracker, NoiseTracker, I think was one of the first ones. There was all different types of things that you could do with trackers as well. So not only could you put in um, notes and instruments, uh, you could put samples in there as well. And you could also do stuff like there's crazy commands that have been found nowadays, like there's a reverse command. So you can actually send the tracker backwards and do like scratching effects on it and stuff. There's also uh, another one where people have now started doing tracker art. So um, if you look at the tracker, it looks a lot like the Matrix with kind of falling (laughs) letters and stuff. People have now built animations inside some of the songs. Uh, So when you're kind of playing them, there'll be like a like a demo or a, a kind of video going on inside the tracker is it's pretty amazing and uh also like there were certain tricks and stuff because of the limitations of the chip with the amiga you know four channels suited it but um there was another format called med later on where uh, you know it increased the number of channels and it would do stuff like run at half the speed and stuff like that to basically get more sound out of the uh, limitations of the audio chip but once that was removed trackers a kind of became a, a thing to you know just be a bit nostalgic about and uh, like look back like there's a great one called open mtp i think it is at the moment that's available for windows and you can compose in that and then send it out to the amiga or you know have the ability to convert your samples and stuff
0: amazing and um- For yourself, Ravi, what what got you into, um, you know, sort of making music? Because when, you know, when I've seen you did, you've got a a wonderful little setup. You're, correct me if I'm wrong, you're using two A600s with um, little little monitors and um, uh, audio outputs into just like a standard DJ mixer.
1: Yeah, so, well, initially when I grew up, I was in an area that was very kind of... Wild so um I, I lived in quite a poor area in the city, and um we'd have a local park, and that park basically they would hold raves on there every night and uh well every weekend, and the council wouldn't be able to do anything, so they'd just get a sound system drive a truck onto the park and uh just start a big party and if the police came then uh there'd be a big riot, so they'd just leave them to it <laughs> and uh, When I was a kid, I'd basically have this kind of, you know, influence of rave and dance music. There was a lot of pirate radios around as well. We'd spend most of the time listening to pirate radio or trying to get on the pirate radio. So that whole DJ culture, like stemming from like Jamaican sound systems into into rave and drum and bass and stuff uh, was kind of like built into me as a kid. There'd also be a lot of warehouse parties in the areas that I was at, uh, free parties, they call them and that would just be on an industrial estate a huge party with like 300 people in a warehouse that would just pop up randomly and they were often better to go to than the uh, ones in the city center so yeah that was really good when i was kind of growing up at that time period and that really got me into the music but also i was uh sitting at home listening to amiga music as well and some of the amiga music was very kind of ravey dance based but um some of it also was very fantasy based, and there were some amazing Amiga musicians like uh, Tim Wright, um, Alistair Brimble, uh, Bjorn Lynn as well, uh, Doctor Awesome. There was uh, guys like Slayer as well. A lot of the demo scene um, musicians used to really be into, it. and of course, getting those crack tros on those discs. Oh yes, when you put them in <laughs> yeah, and heard that crack music, that that would like identify the uh, piracy group and and kind of they were given an image, you know, like Razor 1911 was one. Melon Designs as well. Uh, Lemon Designs even, they called themselves Melon at some point. <laughs> it, was, it was good fun. Uh, but uh, Cortex and Paradox and stuff. But you'd always have that kind of different style of music. And it was usually stuff that wouldn't be on the radio or it would just sound a little bit different or a little bit kind of, stranger to me you know and that really gripped me as a kid
0: you know and you talk about the music in in demos and in games and you know i remember some of the the music in you know even something as iconic as lemmings just that that wonderful track in lemmings and um because i know i recently i think before you went off to this event you did a preview and you were using lemming samples and it just made me smile but games like um uh, team 17's project x oh yeah i just remember that had a great soundtrack yeah and uh
1: and they were really banging as well like some of the uh drums in there and stuff sounded great and and like a lot of them were actual soundtracks at the time so um a lot of producers were using amigas and i didn't know about this back then i thought it was just a, a weird computer from america that uh my dad had upstairs i didn't know uh <laughs> the, the you know uh, super sharp shooter which was a uh, i think is dj hype or is One of the big DJs, he released that. That was in the charts at the time. There was uh, stuff like uh, Magic Pockets. The sound of that was um, Betty Boo in the charts as well. And, uh, yeah, there was quite a lot of stuff, actually. Uh, Some Justice was another one. And, you know, you kind of recognize these sounds, but I didn't put it all together in my head until uh, an amazing piece of software came out. Um, It was created by uh, DJ Hoffman and uh, Akira, which is called PT1210 and uh, that's enabled me to DJ with the uh, Amiga 600s.
0: And that's a very clear homage to the Technics 1210 decks but are the uh, is it are they still I mean still uh, to this day probably the gold standard of DJ decks.
1: Yeah, so everybody literally even back in those raves and stuff they would be all oh, after the Technics uh, SL1210 Mark 2 which was like the prime kind of dj equipment because there was a difference with dj decks where you had a belt drive where it was ran by a belt or direct drive and direct drive was really it was it was built in it was mechanical rather than on a belt that could slip and cause like flutter and uh the the yeah sl1210s were like the prime item (laughs) i remember you know they were so strong; people would stand on them and stuff. <laughs> like you, oh, wow. you could take them to any event, and uh, they wouldn't get ruined. And that that would be like your kit for life. It would be like having that car that never fails, or or something like that. So, uh, having that homage to uh, the twelve ten decks in the software name is is really good. Yeah.
0: So, walk us through a little bit of a, of a setup for me. You know, from both the hardware and the software side. I mean, let's start with the hardware because, you know, when you're setting up, you obviously don't have huge CRTs and sat up there. What, how do you rig everything up for a, for a set?
1: So, um, I've got the two Amiga 600s and they, cause the 600s were a a bit cost cutting by Commodore. The 1200s tend to sound a bit nicer. Um, they have a, a, a noise gate. I think it's a, No, high-pass filter that's in there that you you need to remove. And a little program called LED does that, which kind of takes it out and uh, makes your Amiga sound better. So even if you're not DJing on that, I suggest looking on AmiNet and downloading this program called LED and running that and then seeing what the sound is like afterwards because it does do a noticeable improvement. But on the 600s, um, you have to take some resistors off. So uh DJ Hoffman showed me this and I'm not very good at soldering but I put the soldering gun on and just ripped a few resistors off like a madman and the difference in sound was just uh, unbelievable it just sounded so different and really cool so I have these two Amigas and then um I have these video screens and these screens just literally take the air uh, you know component composite output and uh display it and they're used for like car Uh, entertainment units but they're quite cheap on ebay so you can use them and uh, you can convert them to just run off a 12 volt kind of plug adapter
0: because that's what we're designed for
1: yeah and then i've just ripped out the floppy drives from each of the amigas because you don't need them because uh i'm running off a sd card in there and also they're quite heavy so if you're taking this stuff around you want it to be as light as possible i've also got a y cable which is an essential thing because uh there's stereo separation, basically. With the Amiga, like drums would come out of the left speaker and on the right speaker you get piano. But if you're DJing and you've got drums in the different ears and stuff, it's really confusing. So I kind of take the output out and that also can sound really bad in a club as well or it can sound wonderful. It's like depending on, you know, uh, your kind of preference. But um, I I use a plug that goes into the left output and that does like a little... Kind of fake mixing and mixes the two uh, signals together.
0: So, are you just using the the, mo- the left output? Because I I did notice only one audio cable, so you just sending out out of the left, yeah. And then doing sort of a mixed uh, a mix out, okay.
1: And and that's a little trick that I didn't know about. Like all of this stuff, I didn't know about before the internet. You know, like the resistors and using those little screens and stuff, but. You know, somebody said to me, oh, if you just go out of the left output and you're like, oh, my God, wow, that actually works. And it's like, you know. Uh, it works, yeah. Yeah, That I think it's that shared knowledge of people that have been um, uh, DJing with Amigas and stuff, and it's created this kind of standard setup you can have now. So um, I was DJing with DJ Hoffman recently, and uh, mm. I just bought my decks, and it was exactly the same setup as his. Nice. You know, so we could just work, go on each other's without even thinking. Um, and it just felt comfortable,
0: which is good. That's good, and and of course, this then I guess leads me from a hardware point of view to my next question. Because if you're just using me, apart from a resistor mod, of course. But if you're just using the audio output and the composite output, you don't need to do any HDMI mods. You, you know, obviously taking out the floppy drive. You, you, correct me if I'm wrong. You're not putting a GoTek back in its place, you're just leaving it empty yeah. and using the SD card. I'm guessing SD to some form of IDE adapter? That's exactly it, yeah, SD
1: to IDE. Uh, you can use uh, uh, a few things that Hoffman's shown me, which is um, uh, using a PMCIA, I always get this
0: wrong, <laughs> the the card at the side. Oh, PCMCA. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's it, uh, where you could put a compact flash in there and then you can load the tunes Buy a compact flash, so you won't even need to open the Amiga, and that's really good because he just turned up with two compact flashes and then just put them in my Amigas, and straight away that worked. That's that's an interesting point. Another thing is, uh, it's two megabytes of chip RAM, that's all we have in it. And um, I was loading it, so I, I'm not very good with startup sequences, and I was loading it, so workbench loaded first, and then oh, the I program gotcha. loaded. And the problem with that was Workbench took up a little bit of memory. So I have reduced memory on there, where Hoffman taught me a way to put it into the startup sequence so Workbench doesn't even load at all. Um, It just goes straight into the tracker program, and then it's got that full 2 megabyte of uh, memory to, to DJ with
0: got you so just like back in the dos days we would have to spend hours setting up our config config.sys and bats to squeeze out that that top, that extra couple yeah. of k for um oh, was it conventional memory when certain games needed like i think like wing commander 3 needed like 600k and if you got your sequence right you could squeeze it out while still having your cd-rom drivers still having your mouse driver exactly that exactly that yeah and it's like by skipping, loading the workbench,
1: you're just going in there and maximizing what you can get. And I didn't know about that. And that was that was really a, a kind of bonus. Yeah, and there's all kinds of like little tricks and stuff like that that are really help. And a lot of these have come from, you know, the demo scene and also from these people that would make crack music that had to fit on a disc that already had a full game on it, <laughs> already had a full a full kind of, you know, program on there. that's you the point yeah a small small amount of kilobytes to actually make a make a song you know because what were the mega floppy drives were the 800 Ks it's 880 uh yeah because it was it was double density rather than a high density
0: right so for those who aren't familiar with floppy drives in this particular generation we took three and a half inch floppies uh, double density be80 high density uh, or HD no not High definition, yeah. high density is one, th- what you would associate with a 1.44 meg floppy. I mean, I think there, there are more, you know, there's like, uh, you can get two point odd meg floppies, but the Amiga was 880. And think about that, folks. Yeah. 880 K. Like, hang on. One second. Let me just look at something really quick. I want to just see. Yeah. So a screenshot of my max desktop is about 600 and odd K. That's just one JPEG image, uh, one PNG image, and people were fitting games.
1: It was such a nightmare as well, because uh, that format of disk as well started to become less and less popular. So you'd actually have to go out and search for the double densities. And there was a program called CrossDOS as well, which meant that you could read MS-DOS floppy disks um, on your Amiga, but also... You'd only you you'd be like limited to the size that you could read as well. So you'd have to try and work out how to get like a one point four four and cram it all into that uh that, that area. So yeah, lots of compression and stuff like that, or splitting discs and uh all of that kind of nonsense.
0: Well that's that's why Amiga Games came on so many discs. Yeah, yeah.
1: Twelve discs for Monkey Island
0: was a one of Monkey Island too. Yeah. And the worst part was when game devs hard coded the disk drive ID so that even if you bought a second floppy drive, it wouldn't matter because the game was always looking for DF0. It would never look at DF1.
1: Yeah, well, even to the point of um, SCOM owning the Amiga late, that was late in the 90s, uh, they'd stopped making double density drives. So SCOM actually had to get loads of PC drives and Add a wire in there and then hack them uh, when they were selling them with the Amigas, and then they didn't work, and people had to release like an S fix to get them working. So yeah, it was it was a a real kind of limitation, and and you forget
0: about it when you're not using floppies every day, which is why GoTex is such a good idea. In you know, I love authentic hardware, but. Let, let just put a GoTech in your system, folks. Yeah. Don't, don't don't manage with floppy disks anyway. So software-wise, the b- b- uh, PT twelve ten effectively that is just like your deck. So what what can because you've got yours all mapped out with keyboard commands. How does how does it work actually DJing off of, off this software?
1: So it it works like uh is is it's following the standard principles of a uh, DJing. So it's kind of like you know you have your two different beats per minute and that's really important because older trackers would usually do tempo instead of beats per minute so uh, you're able to change the beats per minute and uh, that, then match them uh, there's no sync synchronizing so nowadays you'd have a you know a button that you press and it will find the beat and then it will synchronize it automatically or even with game boys if you're djing with djing with those you can do sync cables and stuff
0: um this this won't work like that. Sorry, what D- DJing with Game Boys? Is that a whole <laughs> new, a whole other area that I've completely missed? Yeah, yeah. So there's
1: a, a little sound DJ as a program for that, but also there's a whole world of Game Boy DJs as well that you can go into. There's a lot of old video game systems that people are using, but yeah, that has its own kind of world of software. Same with the Atari ST as well, and uh, I think there's some Mega Drive DJs out there and stuff. so.
0: Oh, that I would love! To, I would love to see a couple of old Mega Drive. Now, here's as one quick aside: If you were going to be a Mega Drive DJ, would you want to be there with a Mega Drive Mark I, the original, or would you rather be out with Mark Twos? <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd have a Mark
1: One, but I'd attach
0: it like a guitar because of that like guitar-y <laughs> Mega Drive kind of grungy sound. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So sorry, Ravi. Car- carry on, because this is yeah. this is honestly really fascinating. Thank you so much.
1: It's all right. Um, so so those Game Boy DJs tend to dominate the whole DJ scene as well. So if you check them out, uh, you know the chip tune scene has a lot lot of really talented Game Boy DJs. So uh, Harley Likes Music is one of my favourite. But the um, twelve ten it, it works in a unique way. Being a tracker, um, you've got four channels in there, so you can turn them on and off with some of the buttons which is really useful being able to kind of you know take the drums out of one and then bring them into the other and mix like that um it's also got looping functions so with the um way that mods work they they work in a block and then a block or or otherwise known as a pattern is sequenced so uh you'll have the blocks you have like maybe 10 blocks and then a sequence will go Go to block one, go to block two, go to one, like that, and it will kind of take you around there. So it has options to um kind of loop certain sections of it as well. So you can loop it for like 32 notes, 16, 8 as well, and four or two, so you can get the kind of doof-doof or the kind of effects, and you can you can have it like looping in that way, and it will still stay in time with the other ones. But also it has different start positions, so a lot of these mods were made in bedrooms by people that kind of, you know, weren't professional composers and stuff like that. So um, initially they had stuff like, you know, they'd have a mad intro with loads of samples, but if you want to skip through that, you can skip across, choose a different position. I'll start when the drums start and then set it to do that. And then go from there as the start rather than when the crazy sample comes in, which is the equivalent of like lifting the needle on a record and then dropping it in at the right kind of position. But much more precise. Yeah, and, and that's another thing, much more precise. So I mentioned that you can get Flutter and Wow and stuff like that on the um, vinyl records because, you know, they're analog and they're moving like this. This is digital, so it sticks to the signal. So once you do get using it, it will stick in the pattern, it will repeat, and that that is a lot easier for me. You know, DJing, we used to have this thing where... You'd have to have your finger pushed on it at a certain point if you had some not very good DJ decks, just to kind of keep it consistent. (laughs) You'd be like pushing it along and kind of you know uh, uh, applying a bit of even pressure throughout to 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 get it going. And if it sounded slower, you'd increase the pressure on your finger. (laughs) Yeah, there was all little techniques like that. Yeah, and uh, you can also do stuff like bumping up the BPM. So if it's out of if it's out of sync, if if it feels a bit slower, you can just really quickly hit high on the BPM and then go low again, and it will just move on a little bit. And uh, that really helps when you're like mixing and
0: stuff. That's really cool. And Now, I'm getting the impression that one of the reasons you've got the blocks from the sequence... So say, for example, you've got a block which is a particular drum beat, for example, a particular sample of a drum or a vocal sample, yeah. and you want to then reuse that in, say... Say the chorus. I'm thinking, you know, from a traditional song arrangement point of view, you've got a few samples using the chorus. Yeah. So those those would
1: be channels. Those would be channels. So the block has four channels. So one of the channels
0: would be the uh, drum beat. Yeah. Oh, okay. But let's say, for example, you're going to reuse that whole block in the chorus. That's in the sequence, but the block's only been stored once. Yeah. Yeah. So it could, it could like be only used once, but
1: you can say, Repeat that one, you know, on a loop constantly and then bring it in or out, or you can extend tunes
0: in that kind of way. That's what I'm thinking, which means you can fit more m- music runtime into a single mod file because you can repeat and reuse stuff. Whereas, you know, a, a traditional, you know, when I say traditional, a WAV record, a wave recording, be that a wave or be that an MP3 the whole song takes up the whole song does that make sense in terms of file storage
1: yeah so so like i've got some that are really long some mods that have like 20 or 30 blocks in them and they'll keep going or i've got some ones that have four but if i'm playing with the four one and i'm taking notes in and out and i'm fiddling about with it and stuff i can make it sound like it's a lot bigger or a lot longer which is quite a good advantage
0: because that, and that's where as you said the flexibility comes where you're able to manipulate you know the channels things that you can't do with a, a, you know a traditional vinyl record I know you could maybe eQ out some stuff to bring out you know to lower frequencies but you can't take out you know individual samples or individual channels um i think i i remember vividly one time helping out at a school assembly and one of our french teachers came running in and this guy won't be too nasty to him, in, in case he's ever listening i doubt I doubt he will be but he, he was um a very passionate man and he wanted his year sevens to sing jingle bells in french five minutes before the assembly's about to start he brings in a cassette tape that had the song on it and comes in and says guys Need you to take the lyrics off of this, and we're like, "Pardon me," <laughs> like we've got five minutes before. How exactly do you expect us to do that, sir? He's like, "Just do it," and stormed off out. And of course, what we're trying to do is take off the EQ on. So we we said, "Okay, we're not. We're going to put this on a set." We actually got like one of you, know, you know those old school cassette players that we used for oral like oral tests. Yeah, yeah. We got one of those and plugged that into a separate channel, so we didn't mess with the rest of the EQ for the other. People's cassettes, because of course everyone brought stuff in on cassettes. And when we tried to EQ, like we took a bit of a mid out, bit of a high out to try and get the vocals, it didn't work. Which was a good thing, because not one of those Year Sevens was singing. They started at the front of the stage. By the end of that that song, I honestly, I think we lost about five Year Sevens behind the curtain at the back of the stage because we kept backing up and backing up. None of them wanted <laughs> to be there. But, but of course, if he'd you know, got his jingle bells in on French a on a, a yeah. in a mod file. It's it's like there was some, there, there was some like
1: older examples of stuff like that. Like I remember I used to listen to the Beatles records and I used to have, well, I've still got them like the mono pressings. Oh yes. yeah. And on those, you know, you'd have the vocals in the right speaker and then everything else in the left. Yeah. <laughs> and there is a modern uh, kind of version of that form. It's called stems. And um, that's one with lots of different instruments, but it's kind of like the equivalent of a music studio with, like, a 24-channel mixer or something, but mm. before the mixdowns happened. So you've so got all So actually
0: pr- in production, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, you've got all the elements. And that's how I kind of see mods. Um, it's like before the mixdown actually happened, you
0: know. Oh, I like that point of view. Yeah, it's the, it is the raw performance on each separate channel, and then the, the output that comes into your DJ decks is yeah. the mixdown. Is that... Yeah, and they they used to call it the bounce as well for something. <laughs> I'm gonna bounce. I never understood that yeah. term because neither did I. Yeah, um, I think even oh, I can't remember. It was like um, Logic. I think still uses that term. Yeah, audio logic. Yeah, I was trained on that for a bit
1: because I worked in theatre and I did a lot of um, like I, I was a sound engineer for my professional. Uh, work as well, and like bounce was always one thing that, that I was saying. Just I would never get that kind of connection. Yeah, maybe
0: there's a reason for it. There must be. You know what? If if anyone out there, uh, you know, works in that space, works in the um, sound engineering and production space, particularly those, you know, the big doors, light Logic and music production tools, and you know what bounce means, please send over an email to podcast at crosswires dot net, and we will absolutely put it into the show notes description. Hang on a second. For sure, be up. We'll, we'll 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 do something with it. We'll we'll make a fuss. Uh, you know, we'll add it. We'll just make sure it's highlighted. But and thank you. Yeah. Or you can comment on the episode. So there you go. Ravi, what do you find? So I mean, it it works well. What have been some of your? I mean, we absolutely want to talk about Amiga 37 before we wrap up, but what to, before Amiga 37, what have been some of your favorite experiences taking that Kit out, doing DJs? I know, for example, you've done stuff with Neil at RMC Retro before.
1: Yeah, that, that was awesome. Like doing a, a live DJ set. I do a lot of that as mainly practice, you know, kind of just do it live and then chat to people and stuff. And I could play with some new tunes and stuff like that. But what I love to do is go out and, uh, it's always really nerve wracking like going out kind of performing a lot of people like it as a as a novelty kind of factor like oh he's using old computers but um there's also certain places that uh really kind of embrace it so one that i did was a steel city chip tune which was in sheffield and um that that had game boy artists it was like a huge event and i thought they've invited me to come and do this um yeah, you know, There's not going to be that many people there not interested. And I think it was about 100 in the audience. Um, it was a really wicked night. I remember I was on 1200s then. I was just walking through Sheffield at uh, like three in the morning with these two 1200s just like, I need to get a lighter <laughs> set up. And I think I still had the floppy drives in there. It was hell. I was dragging them through the city centre. Uh, I think there were goths everywhere. And so it was like, yeah. You must have got some incredible looks from people. I did just like, what the hell? You know? And especially when a lot of DJs uh turn up with just a USB stick nowadays, you know, and you're dragging all this equipment around. Um another one that I did was um I supported DJ Yoda, who's a huge hip hop DJ. And that was a really cool gig. He did a hip hop set. I did like a mad jungle one before and uh, I was so nervous before that one, really nervous. But uh, then a recent one that I've started doing, like, I think the the problem with the nerves was I wasn't as trusting as with the kit. Now I've worked the kit out more. It's it's a lot more kind of relaxing and you can just get on with it. But, you know, when you first start, you're like, oh, what if this breaks? What if I'm in the middle of it soldering? <laughs> but uh yeah.
0: hold on folks you should take a quick solder break here
1: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah oh guru meditation pops up or something like that oh wow <laughs> uh, uh, the good thing about performing is as well you can get a video output and put it on screens as well which is a weird thing as well because you know when you usually watch a dj you don't usually see what they're doing no where like if you've got a video output so i just use a splitter cable on the uh, composite out and then put that into a projector when you do that everyone can see what you're doing exactly what what the next tune is and it adds a different kind of dynamic
0: i like that
1: yeah it's weird it's like a different way of kind of doing it and like people like at the chip events and stuff they'll be like ah he's doing that he's doing that other people they're just like it's the matrix <laughs> like you know it just looks uh looks crazy to them but um Another one I did recently was amazing. Actually, it was a horror film festival, independent horror film festival in the woods. Um, so they were showing all these horror films. Oh god, I really, really scared of the horror films. Uh, as people were walking into the woods as the light get, was going down, I was playing this kind of like horror soundtracks on the Amiga and stuff, and that worked really well. And that audience, they didn't know it at all. You know, they weren't like aware of my stuff before, and then on the mic they were like who remembers the amiga computer at the end and stuff and and everyone was like yeah so that that went down really well (laughs) yeah and i love i love doing it to people who don't know anything about it you know like it's good to show neil and stuff but he'll
0: be like oh yes the amiga you know he's probably got like four (laughs) well he knows his amiga inside out this this guy opens amigas for like a for fun it's like oh i'll just open up another amiga today i'll put something random into it yeah exactly but but I like uh,
1: someone who comes from, you know, like played with one maybe back in the days in their mate's living room, sensible soccer or something, and then sees it years later. Yeah. And like, hears all this kind of dance music. But also uh, w- with the modern equipment, it's, um, it's compressed. So it comes out aiming for that kind of mid area where with the Amigas, there's no compression. So it's just like, it's got that kind of old school sound where they're like, drums can be really like and like the bass can just be horrific and um if you hear that on a big sound system it it does sound very different from and like (laughs) unclean or like you know it it sounds kind of uh, a bit rawer for me which also i like producing that because people haven't heard that sound for years like i remember when i used to go to all the old parties and listen to pirate radios and stuff like nobody could mix properly everything would be EQ'd badly but that was part of it you know <laughs> it was like that kind of um, you know you just think wow that's a great tune or also there'd be loads of feedback on the mic constantly all of these things it was never never in a set clean kind of environment which uh, a lot of these like dance events or parties are done nowadays in like very clean environments with sound systems and it's all digital and it's all kind of and, and i kind of miss the days where it's all a bit like
0: homemade and broken <laughs> and of course you've just recently been out to now coming from amiga 37 so a big it, it's basically like a big amiga gathering and this was in germany i believe
1: yeah so this was in let me try and say Munchen, and gladbach in uh, germany and um I, i'd previously been to amiga 34 and then covid struck and uh obviously that it's only just started going ahead again but that event is insane because the German users, um, they had like Commodore uh, and then they had Eskom, which was like their local thats right kind of company. And uh, they took over Amiga. So I think, you know, there's that kind of a bit longer lasting love for Amiga there, or a bit more of a seriousness about it. So at this event, there was over a thousand people, which, you know, like 20, 30 years after the system kind of failed. Still getting a thousand people coming, traveling, meeting up for it from all over the world. It's uh, pretty amazing. And what they did for it was they had a club night at the end. So, uh, had like Chris Halsbeck, who did the Turrican soundtrack playing, Uh, John Hare, who did Cannon Fodder as well, Fast Loaders, who did uh, like heavy metal versions of uh, Turrican and stuff. And in the uh, other room as well, they had us all night. Um, I think we went till. About three or four a.m., me and DJ Hoffman, connect, inventor of the software, you know, connected to the um, sound system and playing on our Amiga 600s. And that was a, a hell of an experience. It was uh, probably one of the best gigs I've ever done. And that was purely because the people there were amazing. Uh, the atmosphere was wicked. The club just, everybody loved it there. The club's called Project 42 um which is actually named after an amiga demo um called project 42 i think at one point we were djing and uh yeah everyone was dancing you could kind of play what you wanted so i got i played even some gabber at one point which was incredibly hard kind of a 205 beat beats per minute music but um i was playing jungle and stuff like that but uh, at one point some people german girls came in and said, what's Amiga? And they didn't have a clue, but they were still all dancing on the dance floor and stuff. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's really cool. (laughs) If they don't even know what it is, but they're still
0: able to party. You know? Amazing. And, it just shows how you know one of the things we love to explore is people doing things differently with technology, using you know both old, old retro and modern tech. You know, and there are some don't get there are some wonderful DJing apps now, as we talked about with uh, Manny Faces. There's you know there's things like Serato Scratch, but even then going down to the more bedroom DJ or home DJ things like DJ DJAY for uh, I think it's is it. uh uh, logarith- logarithms DJ yeah. app, and you can put that on your iPhone. I, you know, it's incredible. And so if people want to look at, you know, trackers, you've mentioned a few pieces of Windows software. Now, one thing that we discussed in the last episode is obviously, yes, you can emulate Amiga hardware in something like a Raspberry Pi or, you know, a Pi 400, which, of course, Ebon Upton on your show even said, that thing is a homage to the A600. Correct me if I'm wrong, from what we discussed when we first tried to do this episode, yeah, that's going to work from a software point of view, but you're not going to get the same experience because you're routing it through software audio. So it's not going to be the same sound at all. Is that accurate? Yeah, it it depends. So if, if you're making something on the PC,
1: um, Amiga used samples as well as kind of stuff that the Paula Chip would do. So, you, you know, if you heard a lot of Crack Tros, they would definitely be like Paula Chip... Um, Mm. or kind of SID chip sounding stuff because they had limited room, So they'd have to kind of create the notes, but, um, a lot of sampled ones, um, you know, there were songs that were just pure samples and they'd sound pretty much the same. Um, if you use like open, uh, MPT, which I mentioned and, uh, renoise as well as another one, um, which is, uh, quite a popular tracker, uh, renoise. But the best thing about trackers is if you pick up, um, one that they're, they're all free and you know you just load a tune into there and like deconstruct it and play around and change some of the notes and you'll start to learn the principles straight away and uh i'm not amazingly good with them you know i i i understand them but i don't write stuff in them uh I don't compose my own music i just mix other people's amazing music and um yeah i i, th- I think they're just great things like uh do, do you remember unreal tournament um that yeah. game uh that all that music was made with trackers even though it was quite wow. uh, late on as well and you can actually like if you if you go back you can kind of hear the kind of tracker demo kind of sound in there and i think it's one thing that's going to keep going and um it's also like something that will get popular into ma- like major culture like there was that artist timberland who uh Famously stole the um, song uh, "Acid Jazzed Evening" off a, a C64 composer, and then did a, a Nelly Furtado remix of it. <laughs> and like, there's, um, oh dear. yeah, there's, there's always going to be interest in that because it's a different kind of sound. And um, yeah, I think there's always going to be a niche for it as well and stuff. And one day, I'd like to start composing my own music. I just need to like start learning piano again and <laughs> getting back into it like that kind of way but mixing it for me is just fun cuz some of those songs you know even when you play them today you just like get goosebumps cuz some of the composers were just so utterly awesome and then you're always finding new stuff as well so um exotica uh Mo- on mod archive is a great place to look for new tunes i think it's the biggest video game ftp in the world uh it's got modland it's got um like thousands and thousands and thousands of tunes and all in different formats. So like, you know, Game Boy formats and, uh, PlayStation, <laughs> all this kind of stuff.
0: Love it. So Ravi, thank you so much for, for chatting us through this. If people want to find out, uh, you know, maybe see more of your sets or find out more about what you do. Uh, can they find, you know, have you got stuff up online of some of the sets? Uh, yeah. So,
1: um, I've got tons of DJ sets on my YouTube channel, actually. Um, and they're mainly me kind of just practicing at home and playing around Um, but there's some pretty fun fun stuff in that and I always try and do like a different genre or format of sound I was I was doing that for a while but now I'm just kind of like play tunes that I enjoy and just have a laugh and uh, yeah that kind of stuff Um, yeah you can check that out on YouTube so that's just Ravi Abbott and you can also check out uh, Retro Ravi
0: on Twitter as well where I'll be posting links as well excellent Ravi thank you so much and um, yeah it's been a pleasure thanks for listening to this episode of Crosswires we hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts so please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net you can also drop us a
1: comment on the post or if you're a good pod user why not start a discussion there too
0: make sure you follow us on twitter at CrosswiresMG, and of course you can find the show in all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too If you'd like to check out more of our content, head on over to crossedwires.net slash YouTube for all our videos, and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crossedwires.net slash live for our upcoming streams. If you like what we heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show. And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful, you can support us at ko-fi.com. Slash crossed wires, that is ko fi.com slash crossed wires. Until next time, thanks for listening.